the other day, uh, it must have been Friday afternoon, I guess, uh, I happened to see a bit of a TV quiz show that I'd not seen before. And it was called Impossible. Impossible. And it was where contestants are um, faced with a question or uh, that is incorrect. You know, there, there's like a mistake in the question. It, it's not a, a question that could be answered, and they have to identify that. Or maybe they're given a range of answers to choose from. And some of them might be answers to the question, but other ones are, as the name of the show suggests, impossible. And it made me think of the passage we have today. Not because there was anything about Jesus, nothing about the ascension, but because there's a question that the disciples ask that is just so wrong. The disciples ask, Lord, uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's just wrong. You see, it's wrong in the sense that it's not a question he can answer by fact. It's, he doesn't know the time. But it was also so implying that the restoration of Israel was his purpose. Is this the time you're going to do it? And he's like, well, that implies that I'm going to do it, and that's not quite what I'm about. The timing of the coming of the kingdom of God in fullness is a matter for the Father, not of the Son, nor for his disciples, the children of God, to be concerned about. It's not for us to think about. The kingdom will come. But at the time and date which is not known, those who claim to know it are misguided at best and more often than not charlatans. It's not for us to know. So it's not going to be hidden in a special code that we can work out from certain passages of the Bible. Not that we can calculate by reading this bit and reading that bit and putting the times and the dates together, it's not for us to know. We are instead told in the scriptures to always be ready for that day. Whenever it will be, when that day comes, that Christ returns, we are to be ready. The parable in Matthew 25 of the, the wise and foolish bridesmaids particularly emphasizes that. You know, some folk are ready and some folk are not. We have to be ready. And the, uh, the other parables in that chapter describe what it means to be ready as God's people. The disciples' question also maintains this presumption that the, the role of the Messiah was to overthrow the Romans. He was to come 
and become a king like David, ruling over the children in Israel, ruling over the promised land. Now, this is the concept of Messiah understood by Peter as he seeks to chastise Jesus in Matthew 16. Just after declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is saying, you know, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem. And there I will die and will be raised again in three days. And, and Peter said, no, you can't do that. Stop saying that. What a load of rubbish. And Peter has to be told, get behind me, Satan. His vision of Messiah was wrong. And it wasn't just Peter. As, as Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, as the crowd wave their festal branches of palms, as they lay them down in the road, as they put down their cloaks, as they praise him, the son of David, which he is, they forget to see that he's riding on a donkey, not a great war horse. Their vision of what it is to be the new coming king, to be the Messiah, is wrong. And even on Easter Day, the concept of Messiah understood by Cleopas and his friend on their way to Emmaus on that afternoon. Downcast faces, they say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, of course, Jesus then opens the scriptures to them and makes clear who the Messiah is was supposed to be, how he had to go to the cross, but how he is now risen. What we see here today on our passage where the disciples, those closest to Jesus, have assembled on the Mount of Olives after they'd had three years as disciples, after the cross and the resurrection, after another 40 days of teaching and miracles, as Jesus prepares to leave them, those closest to him still do not understand the message. They're still not grabbed it. They're still expecting that kingly, in the old traditional sense, kingly nature of Messiah. Even though they had been people sent out as the 12 and then later as the 72 to proclaim a message, the kingdom of God has come near, they still don't get the idea of the kingdom of God. They're not with it. And it begs the question whether we ourselves understand who we are called to be. 
What we are called to proclaim, do we seek the kingdom of God, or do we seek our own earthly expectations to be met? Those are not necessarily different all the time, but they're not necessarily the same either, we have to admit. The kingdom is of love and peace. It is a kingdom of justice. It is a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom of hope. Not simply for us or for people like us, but for all. And when we do things that dismiss others because of their heritage or because of their land of birth or other reasons like that, we are working against the kingdom of God rather than bearing witness to it. We are called to bear witness to God's coming kingdom. Maybe the three geographical layers the disciples are commissioned to witness in might open their eyes a little. The people of Jerusalem were the accept, uh, were the ex- with the exception of the Roman authorities that were there, who had come and had control of the place. The, the people of Jerusalem were people of devout Jewish faith. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the priests and the pilgrims that had come to visit, and the people that supported them. They are people of faith, people wanting to seek God. And these are the first that are to be witnessed to, that are to experience the message of God's love. Then outside of the city, we get to the people of Judea and Samaria. Both of these groups, both of these communities, are children of Abraham. They're living in the Holy Land, but have developed different theologies. You know, and they've had those different theologies for a few hundred years now. You know, probably since about the time of the exile. But they're children of Abraham. They've got that in common, even though they didn't really accept each other and understand each other's ways. But they are to be witnessed to. So there's the devout people, and then there's the wider people that have their roots in the same family dating back. But then there is the direction to the ends of the earth. And it's not just a geographical thing. It's not just saying people across the world are to receive the message. The people at the ends of the earth, the people outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea and Samaria, were for the most part Gentiles. 
people that are completely different from the disciples in their understanding of God. Maybe there's huge diversity of understandings there, but they're not children of Abraham. But the message is for them. It is for us. It is for the communities that we live in. It is a message for the world in every sense, for every tongue, for every ethnic group, on every landmass around the globe. The disciples are to bear witness, obviously far broader than either geographic or ethnic old kingdom of Israel. It is for all. The kingdom is not simply earthly even. Because it is the kingdom of God. It's in the heavens and the earth. It's a spiritual kingdom that they are to bear witness to. It's what we are praying for when we say the Lord's Prayer. A kingdom formed by the life and work of believers under the direction of the Holy Spirit. God's will be done on earth as in heaven. It's a kingdom that's here and growing here, but not geographically, but within our hearts. The disciples, though, who've been commissioned for this adventure to go to the ends of the earth are not to step out immediately. They're to return to the city and wait for the Spirit to come and bless them. They have to wait. They can't start now. They need that strength of Spirit, that encouragement, that equipping, that blessing, which will happen ten days later, next Sunday in our calendar. Yet they are admonished by two angels for simply staring at the clouds. What are you doing here? What are you doing just looking up at those clouds? So they have to begin but they begin by waiting not just looking mm, a bit bored intrigued. Now they begin with prayer. They're not doing nothing. They go, they gather, they pray. Now whether this upper room is where they had earlier shared the supper with the Lord on the night that he was betrayed, whether it is where they will meet as 120 believers gathered and choosing a, a new disciple, whether it is where we will think of them being next week, on the day of Pentecost, where the Spirit comes upon them, we, we can't say. But they have somewhere to go. They have somewhere to pray. 
And we can see that as they do that, it's not just the 12 male disciples. They're meeting together along with a number of women and with Mary and with the brothers of Jesus. And that they pray together suggests that already the discriminatory barrier between male and female roles in the community is going, if not gone. It was, after all, women who were the first to witness and testify that Jesus was risen from the grave. And this is one of the key dynamics to the gospel. Jesus came for all because God loves everyone. And he calls all into some form of mission. Whatever our age, whatever we're doing, God calls us to be his people and to take his word out, to be his witnesses, and also to be his witnesses in this place too, so that we give an example to one another about how he loves us in the way that we meet as church, as the way we relate to each other, as the way we have coffee in the hall afterwards, in the way that we do things during the week, in the way that we can gather on Thursday this week and pray together, be it at 10 in the morning or 7.30 in the evening. As we do those things, we witness to one another and we witness to the world that we are called to be God's people because it is a God of love. So we see here in the message of Jesus that the believers will be taking the hope of Christ to every nation, that within every nation, all people, whatever their previous faith, their previous understandings, whether they're male or female, all are invited to be in relationship with God. And they are already starting to make that change as they gather together for prayer. So the group of followers are changed from simply being the men of Galilee on a hillside to being a diverse gathering of believers who hold in their heart their faith and take it out into the world. That is the growth of the kingdom. May we ourselves not be confined to incorrect understandings that we may have inherited, like how they thought of the kingdom, but instead be ready to be directed by the Holy Spirit to see the growth of the real kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord. May we be the witnesses. Amen.